Good afternoon. Uh, if you're joining us uh, today, uh, it's to talk about the definition of an employee in New York workers' compensation cases. My name is Greg Lois, and today I am joined by my partner, Christian Cison. Hi, everybody. Uh, who's going to help shed some light on this sometimes complicated topic. It can get pretty complicated. All right. Uh, so this is totally live. Uh, it, uh, it's pouring rain here uh, in New York City, so I hope where you are is dry and warm and sunny and awesome. But uh, this is totally live. Please uh, give us your questions. We can see them pop up on our screen. In today's uh, webinar, we've also got a couple handouts. Uh, there's some cases that have come out recently that we thought would be very interesting to talk about. So today, instead of talking uh, just sort of generally about employment and the definition of employment, we thought we would focus on some of the more difficult aspects of defending the employment uh, or raising an employment defense in a workers' compensation claim. So those problems are uh, trying to uh, assert that the claimant is really an independent contractor. Uh, the problems that arise from leased employees, dual employees, right. PEOs, uh, and then what about uh, these gig economy workers? Sure. And also what we're seeing more and more is brand employees within a different employer's location and like how that is dealt with. Yeah, I think that these uh, types of defenses uh, for these cases are a little bit more uh, nuanced and specific, right? Mm -hmm. we, sometimes we have employer-employee relationship cases that are just clear cut, black and white. We know this person is not on the payroll. Mm -hmm. uh, he's someone else's employee and you get out just like that. Uh, these types of issues require a little bit more work to flesh the issue out. Okay, good. So we're gonna jump in all of that. Let's go really fast through the basics of the employee uh, definition. So employees are defined in uh, the workers' compensation law itself. Essentially, they're anybody providing services to a business for wages. I mean, it's almost a common sense definition. Of course, uh, we make it very complicated because this is New York and you know, we like <laughs> sure. to make things complicated. So uh, we uh, it includes uh, students and interns. Uh, it includes um, evil illegal employees. Uh, we call them pre-citizens or those people without uh, legal working status or papers. And it even can include uh, sole proprietors who elect to be covered under workers' compensation law. So uh, those are all people who would easily fall under the definition of employee under the, under the statute. But people who are not employees are your independent contractors, right? Now we'll go into the facts uh, as to what makes someone an independent contractor. Volunteer is not an employee, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. under the law, they're not uh, being paid for a service that they're providing. And uh, you know, in your very, very rare case, you'll have a, a trucker with their own bill of lading, uh, their own uh, department of transportation number. All right, so let's talk about some of the most common uh, situations where employment issues become uh, confusing. And I think the most common one is the idea of dual employment. Uh, the situation where the employer uh, is employing someone, it's an admitted employment relationship, but then they lend that employee to another entity uh, who often may treat them like their own employee. Yeah, and the case becomes very fact specific, right? Uh, which, which employer has their hands in the pot more, or if it's if it's truly even, uh, the board actually has latitude to find both employers to be liable liable to a certain percentage. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the factors that we always talk about is is who is maintaining control over that employee you know, when the accident occurred, mm -hmm. because then that leads to uh, really the, the determination of responsibility, right? Because essentially, if you control the employee, then you should be the person liable for uh, the injury and the exposure on a workers' comp claim. Yeah, interestingly. Uh, the courts don't really care whose name is on the W-2. No. 
They don't care whose name is on the paycheck. They don't care really that much whose uniform you're wearing. It's who has the right to direct and control that employee during right. the workday. This is an employer's compensation, Mr. Cison, which is I've, I've heard uh, from judges around the state. It's workers' compensation, right? So they want to compensate the worker for uh, what they believe is a legitimate claim, even if they have two employers. One of them's either going to be stuck with the claim, or like I said, in a rare case, there might be a division mm -hmm. of liability. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, but it is possible to be an independent contractor and not have any employer, right? Absolutely. Uh, right. So, you know, we'll talk, uh, we'll get into these factors here. Uh, the IRS status, right, your self-reporting on a 1099 actually doesn't matter. And At I all. Think, I think it doesn't matter in terms of being the sole factor, right? It's still important, right? Because you have a person that's holding themselves out uh, to a, a governmental entity saying that I'm self-employed. Mm -hmm. uh, I have these relationships with these companies. And that's just, it's not... It's not dispositive, but it's right. certainly important. But I have employers come forward to me and they say, oh, Greg, this guy's not my employee. Look, I paid him on a 1099. I'm like, well, that's cute. Right. But absolutely not dispositive. And the reason why it's not dispositive is because uh, some, of, some of those 1099 uh, forms are usually the results of contracts of adhesion, where an employee, employee will go to an employer and say, uh, I need to work for you. And this is the only way that they can get right. work. So right. hamstringing uh, the employee into a 1099 is not going to get you out of workers' compensation alone, but it is important. Okay, so really they're going to look to, uh, does that independent person, that per person who you're claiming is an independent contractor, do you have any right to control or direct them? And that's a lot of things. That's the manner of the work, the time the workday starts, the time the workday ends, the uniform they wear, the tools, the supply of any materials they need to do that project, whether or not they can hire or fire their own subcontractors or subcontract right. out the entire job. Uh, all of that stuff sure. are the factors that the How are you treating on. this person, right? It's not just what it looks like on paper, right? Similarly, a contract that says I am an independent contractor is not dispositive. It's mm -hmm. important, but it's really how are you treating this person uh, in their daily duties to make them uh, feel like an employee or, or really a separate entity as their self. Yeah, and the, the court's going to look to the, the service that's being provided to you by this alleged independent contractor. How germane is that service to your business? You know, if you're holding yourself out as a lemonade stand and this person's making, producing, supplying, and selling lemonade, they're going to say, look, this is probably really related. This is your employee versus, you know, I hire a snow contractor to remove snow from our parking lot. Not my employee, right? right. I, well, that, you're, that's you're, completely you're separate business. I'm not in the business of snow right. removal. I'm in the business of owning a law firm. So, you know, those are two totally different businesses. So more likely than not, they'd find that person to be an independent contractor. Right. You're going to trust that person person to do the job, mm -hmm. right? Without the supervision and the control, you're not going to say you need to be here at 9 a.m. and clock in at my office. Right, right. Uh, just get it out of my driveway yep. before the end of the day. So that kind of uh, relationship does lend itself to the person being a separate business mm -hmm. as opposed to your employee. Right. The courts are also going to look at, hey, uh, does that person uh, maintain their own separate business entity? You know, is it a formed LLC or LLP or incorporated right, company? Right. And then they're also going to say, does this person or this entity have their own comp insurance? Who are they going to collect against? And that, that really gets back to what you said about the judge is like, well, I'm going to find someone to be the employer, you know, eventually. Yeah. John Smith Snowplow Company uh, LLC uh, is going to help, the existence of that company is going to help the employer who mm -hmm. contracts with John Smith Snowplow LLC. But if you're uh, hiring John Smith and there's no real existence of a, a separate entity associated with John Smith, that factor goes toward the employee. All right, good. Uh, all right, let's get into some 
some case stuff because there's some interesting decisions that came out sure. in the last year and I think they're pretty cool. So let me grab this one. I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz here. Uh, uh, all right. Brand employees. So this is something that, you know, just being like a regular consumer, you know, you might not realize that people that are working inside retail establishments are often have nothing to do with the retail establishment itself. Okay? Absolutely. Yeah. So the first case we have to look at today is called uh, matter of Calameo Cole versus Task Essential Corp. There is no doubt that uh, the claimant, Colomeo Cole, uh, received paychecks sure. uh, from a company called Task Essential, but then Task Essential placed this employee within a retail store. In fact, it was a Bloomingdale's store. Right. This is all coming from the from the case uh, decision. Uh, this case decision that we're talking about, the Colomeo Cole case, is in the handouts uh, in this webinar. So please take a, a second when you get a chance. Uh, essentially, uh, the question was, who is this guy's employer, right? Because he's working inside this store location. He's paid by Task Essential, but essentially he's a brand representative for the cosmetics or the uh, products that Task Essential was essentially selling in the store. Right, so right. let me tell you the facts of this case, and you're going to tell me uh, if you think that this amounts to an employee of the Bloomingdale's or of Task Essential or both, okay? So uh, the claimant has a supervisor that is at Task Essential. Uh, th that is undisputed. Uh, Bloomingdale's has no ability uh, to determine who his supervisor is. It's, okay. it's someone else, okay? So that one supervisor, point for Task Essential. One point. Uh, that supervisor sets his working schedule. Another point for Task Essential. Okay. Uh, the claimant received training for the position from the Task Essential supervisor. Okay. Okay, another <laughs> point, right? Task Essential gave him a required dress code. So not, not Bloomingdale's uh, authority or anything like that. Okay. Yep. Uh, Task Essential sent, set his sales goals and then paid him based on those sales goals. I guess that uh, commission and hourly rate. Right. And then finally, the Task Essential supervisor uh, was the person who would spot check him and observe his performance. Wow. So really the only connection to Bloomingdale's is the location. Sure. He's inside right. the premises. To a customer of Bloomingdale's, he certainly appears to be a Bloomingdale's employee. You know, explaining products, selling products within that retail establishment. Right, and you know, I think where we're headed is that this person is an employee of Task Essential. Uh, we have someone who's controlling his schedule, controlling whether or not uh, he's disciplined, uh, controlling his uniform, even you know what he what he wears to uh, the job. Mm -hmm. And the only connection to Bloomingdale's is where he is. You could even argue from, uh, you know, a uh, factual perspective that Task Essential is getting a benefit from taking your typical Bloomingdale's customer and providing a more uh, direct service for Task Essential. Another benefit to Task Essential. Sure, sure. so they, they're the beneficiary of this relationship, certainly. They're selling right. their products. Sir. Exactly. So, uh, you know, uh, I guess we kind of signaled the end of this case how it was going to turn out, but it's Task Essential's ongoing control of the claimant is found to be dispositive. Oh, so you're saying they I was are right. right. You were right. You're right. All right. So I think that's an interesting case, and and it came out uh, this year, and it got us sort of thinking about how many employees, alleged employees, or, or purported or apparent employees, are actually employees of somebody else. And a right. great example of this is these big box stores. Uh, when you go into a big box store, and particularly the technology stores that are selling TVs and computers and other things, right. uh, the people that are actually selling the computers in particular. 
uh, are generally the representatives of the technology company themselves. And right. They're not like store employees. Kiosks sure. Or, uh, sure. You know, you're just stands. Right. And then uh, uh, beyond that, there's also stores that are selling things like phones and and right. you know, prepaid cellular plans or whatever else is going on. Right. They might not even have a special like booth. It just might be in the store. Right. So you know, there's a lot of this, uh, a lot of context for that case, which is an interesting case. Uh, the other thing that uh, we thought we would highlight is gig economy workers. And there is an interesting case that came out. This is actually our case. Uh, I've provided a copy to the published opinion, uh, which is, by the way, that first opinion, uh, that's a appellate level opinion. That has precedential value. It is a third department uh, decision. That's one that can be cited as good substantive case law. Uh, this decision is a workers' compensation board decision. It came out in December of 2018, and it's one of the very few that we've seen on gig economy workers. And this is our case. This is our defense. Uh, we defended uh, DoorDash uh, through their carrier, and DoorDash uh, had an employee who claims that uh, he, or alleged employee of DoorDash, right. says, I, I was injured <laughs> while working for DoorDash. So let's talk a little bit. I'm going to give you the facts of this case, and I want you to tell me how you think this comes out, okay? Uh, the claimant alleges that he was an employee of DoorDash. He claims that he received training and orientation from DoorDash. He argues that he carried delivery bags and shirts with the employer's logo on it, DoorDash. It's not looking good for DoorDash so far. Yep. Also claims that he could be terminated by DoorDash if he receives poor delivery ratings through the app. So he's claiming that DoorDash has a supervisory or managerial function over him, um, which sounds to me similar to that Colomeo case uh, in a lot of ways. Right. He's saying, I supervised me. You control me, so. Right. Uh, now. Uh, we argued that he, of course, is an independent contractor. And here's the points that we made uh, to argue that he was an independent contractor and had, was not an employee. Okay, so one is uh, that all of the work he did for us was through an application uh, and that he chose when to sign into the app and start taking delivery assignments. Um, he chose what assignments to accept, not us. Uh, he used the application on his personal phone. We didn't provide him with that equipment. He had that on his own. Um, and he made pickup and deliveries on his bike. And we did not provide him with the bike, nor require him to use a bike or any specific right, vehicle. control the mode of transportation. Uh, we argued that we didn't give him any uniform that he was compelled to wear. The fact that he wore a shirt, sometimes navy, that had our logo on it, had nothing to do with our requirements. He's not required to wear a uniform. Uh, we argued that we never directly supervised him uh, at all, that it, all of his alleged supervision would have been ratings he got from other people, not us, who we did not control. Uh, we also said that he was not restricted from working other jobs or making deliveries through competitor applications. So in other words, we said you could be working for us, DoorDash, allegedly, or and, and or doing other gig economy jobs all at the same time, and we don't care about that. Uh, and we argued that the claimant always had the right to control when he did or did not sign into the app to accept delivery right. uh, requests. So that's our arguments. Uh, how do you think this one? Well, uh, we're being a little bit facetious here since we know it's we know our we, case. We know and, we, uh, we, yeah. know that yeah. we wouldn't be presenting to you if, if we didn't uh, become successful here. But I think the main issue is that we kind of over, uh, overstepped the, the whole control issue that DoorDash may have had by actually showing evidence of non-control, right? So uh, having the person available to use work uh, or to work for other businesses, uh, having the person available to 
uh, decide his time schedule, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not, we're not saying you have to make 25 deliveries a week, which is still actually an independent contractor thing, but uh, we're actually saying you can decide how much you work for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest, biggest part of this case where it gives the claimant a little bit of latitude from saying, okay, like you're, I'm an employee. What, what employee actually sets his own time schedule and how much he works? I, I don't know of an employee like that. So, uh, I think this case correctly identified uh, the claimant as an independent contractor and uh, uh, we were able to get a successful outcome for our client here. Yeah, and so my goal with bringing out those cases was just to sort of show people that the kind of boring or classic defense of not my employee really gets into these gray areas pretty quickly and with the advent of the technological changes. I mean, both, both of these cases are really technology. One is, hey, you're using an app uh, to provide someone uh, jobs right. or, or uh, offers of making deliveries. And the other one is, you know, particularly technology companies and sometimes uh, things that require a lot of explanation or very complicated sure. products, you're putting salespeople or you're putting uh, brand ambassadors in other people's locations, which is right. a you know, relatively different and new thing. I mean, you know, uh, not something I'm certain in 1911 when they wrote the workers' compensation law, <laughs> did they imagine that software technology vendors are going yeah. to be, you know, de, uh, uh, putting brand ambassadors in other people's locations. Right, so the department, interesting. department stores not too long ago were training employees to know all the products in, you know, uh, the store, right? Mm -hmm. Now that there's so many products on the shelves, it's actually been a, a benefit to the companies whose products uh, are being sold to put, like you said, the brand ambassador in there. And you know, when they're doing that, they are assuming the risk that that person is hurt. And yeah. they're still an employee of them, not the store. Yep. All right, uh, I'm hoping there's some good questions on this topic. So we're up to the questions portion. I'm gonna go over to the computer and see what we got. Uh, so if you haven't asked your question yet, please ask it now. Uh, Okay, our uh, producer over here, Lauren, says, "Would it kill you guys to stand still?" I think it might. Uh, I just, I just like to move around. Uh, you know, maybe we, we we talk around, uh, talk with our hands a lot. Uh, but thanks for that, and take some constructive criticism, very, very nicely. <laughs> All right, uh, Angela says, "Good examples." Uh, no specific question. All right, right thanks, so Angela. As you go through, or in your day, uh, as you come up with some uh, cases that might have an employment defense possible, uh, that's that's absolutely a moment to give us a call, give us a ring, and we'll walk you through it. You know, you and I were talking about the defense earlier, and we said, you know, when you're raising the employment defense, when you're saying not my employee, uh, our belief is the best practice is also to raise all other applicable defenses, and those defenses would be things like notice or no accident arising out of in the course of employment. So, uh, and the reason we say that is because, hey, look, if the person didn't work for me, it's impossible for me to get notice from them. And if the person didn't work for me, it's impossible for the accident to arise out of in the course of employment. There was no employment. And although that might seem like common sense, it absolutely is not. The board will deem a defense not raised, a defense waived. Right. So we might actually spend a lot of time litigating who is the actual employer while losing in the woods other defenses that may save your bacon if in fact you, you later are found to be an employer, which right. is not impossible in this right. jurisdiction. All right, uh, and the reason I think we're I saying this that with our producer with that bacon job. Yeah, you but, did. Okay. Uh, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because next month we're going to talk about the practical application of 
all the remaining legal defenses. So we've done uh, a number of them, and, and certainly employment is a huge defense. But let's talk next month about some of the practical aspects of raising other common defenses. And the, and the point of that is, hey, even if you don't prevail on, in, on the defense of not my employee, or this isn't truly an independent contractor, you still have many defenses available. And let's make sure we pursue those and present them as aggressively as we possibly can. You might even say, you're asking the employers to defend from day one. I know you have to say it at some point, so there it is. Yep. That plug is always going in there. Uh, if this topic was interesting to you, uh, please uh, wait for or come to Christian's podcast, which will come out at the end of this week. We sort of take these same um, beginning topics, or this is we do sort of an overview of this topic, and we really dive into it, a deep dive into the topic of defending uh, issue, cases on the issue of employment, and in particular, the context of the lent employees or the borrowed employees. Sure, uh, and actually, I have a special guest this week. Uh, he was very excited, uh, this guy. and now he's not a special guest because he's disclosed his identity to you. <laughs> All right, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Have a great week. See you next time.